0: Amen. Thank you David. Thank you Jerry. I love that Jerry thought we could sing and clap at the same time. <laughs> he uh, he should know better than that. Amen. Children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Amen. Everyone else, go ahead and take your Bibles and we're opening to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. We're going to pick up in verse 19. We're going to make our way through the end of the book as we talk about the church's relationship with those sent out. Now, As we come to the end of any New Testament book, any letter that Paul had written or anyone else had written, there's always this interesting end where Paul or any New Testament writer gives some sort of hello, how you doing, Goodbye. Good to be with you. Love you so much. Tell so and so hello. Say hello to this person. These people with me greet you. This is where I'm going next. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm going. And there's this interesting kind of dynamic at the end of these letters where we get a personal look at the personal plans of Paul, the personal communication between Paul and the churches that he's ministering to. And so, as we look at the text this morning, as I begin to study through this and pray through this, backing back up into chapter uh, 6, verse 19, what began to become clear was this relationship that existed between the church at Ephesus and the Apostle Paul, and how this relationship has fostered over the years, and in looking at it, it gives us a really good glimpse at what the relationship should look like between a church and those that are sent out. Now, just to make sure we're all clear and we don't misunderstand anything, when we pick up in verse 19, we are still within the context of spiritual warfare. And so as Paul has instructed us to put on the whole armor of God, Remember, the way that we deploy the armor of God in verses 18 and following is through prayer. And so Paul asked for the Ephesians church to be in prayer for him that he could fulfill his ministry as an apostle, and as he's going to say, as an ambassador in chains. Because remember, Paul's writing this letter from prison. Paul is literally in chains as he's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. Then when we pick up in verses 21 and following, we see that Paul then begins to express to the church why he has sent Tychius to them was so that he could give them some kind of an update. And so again, what we have is this picture of the relationship between Paul and the church at Ephesus that we're going to look at this morning. So in the text, we're going to see two realities that should exist within the relationship of the church and those it has sent out or partnered with. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 6, read verses 19 and following. We'll pray. I'll try to catch my breath after baptizing. And then we'll walk through the text together this morning. So... In verse 18, back up with me to verse 18, Paul, after telling them to put on the full armor of God and explaining each part of the armor, in verse 18, Paul says, "...praying at all times in the Spirit... "...with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints." So in verse 18, Paul says, pray for everyone, pray for all the saints. And then in verse 19, Paul gets personal. "...and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel." For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for giving us the opportunity we've had already to worship you. Lord, what an incredible way to celebrate and begin the service by celebrating the baptism of Lion and Casey. Lord, we thank you for how you have been working in their hearts and their lives, and we thank you for how we were able to celebrate that this morning. Lord, thank you for good worship. Thank you for the opportunity that we've had as a church family to lift up our voices in praise. Lord, I pray that it was a sweet sound in your ear as we worshipped you through song. And then Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to continue in the book of Ephesians, to bring it to a conclusion this week and to worship you through your word. So Lord, I pray that you would be with us now. As we look at this text, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified and honored as we walk through this text together. Help us to understand what it means and help us to understand how we can apply it into our lives. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, in the text, we're going to see two realities that should exist within the relationship of the church and those sent out. Number one, the church needs to be engaged in the ministry of those sent out. So let me say that again. The church, us, needs to be engaged in the ministry of those sent that are sent out. Now before we jump in we need to make sure that we understand a couple of things first. Remember first of all that Paul is a unique minister and that he is one of the first men who goes out with the purpose of planting churches everywhere that he goes. So he's the first what we would call church planter and his goal is not to go and plant a church in an area and stay. His goal is to go plant a church in an area and then move on once that church has leadership so he can go plant in another church. And so that being the case remember that Ephesus was not his home church, or what we would refer to as his sending church. He was not the, the, he didn't grow up in Ephesus, if you will. As a matter of fact, he grew up hating Christians, and he grew up opposed to Christ and opposed to the church, but he wasn't a member at Ephesus. He was the one who planted the church at Ephesus. And so he wasn't even their pastor. He was the founding pastor, the planter of the church at Ephesus. But, As we go through the text, and as we look at some other examples as well, we're going to see some really clear indications of the relationship that Paul had with not only the church at Ephesus, but all the churches that he partnered with. And what we're going to be able to see is that the churches that have sent out missionaries are to continue engaging with them in their ministry. As a matter of fact, in Acts 13, we see that Antioch was actually the home church of Paul. And so in Acts 13, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Crane, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off And we know they sent them off as missionaries or church planner. So as we look at this text, we're going to bring in some other examples as well. And we're going to see all that we can see in the New Testament for how a church should engage with those that it sent out. Now... One of the reasons I feel like this is something the Lord wants us to go through is the unique opportunity the Lord has given to us as a church. We have got three different missionaries that we've been able to partner with over the last several years. We've got Jamie and Joey, remember, who... For those of you who are new, Jamie used to be the associate pastor of this church 20 years ago, 22 years ago, something like that, before y'all sent him off to the mission field where he is continuing to serve with him and his family as a missionary with the International Mission Board now for 20-something for years. And so Jamie and Joey are those who have been sent off by this church to the mission field. We've also had the opportunity to, to partner with the Hokets, who are members at Hell's Chapel, who we have been able to love on, encourage, even provide a parsonage for them to stay in in fundraising times. And now they've been sent off. We're not their home church, but we're partners of theirs in the ministry. And then, of course, Corey and Ashley who have been able to come and stay with us and even minister to us and encourage us while they were here in the parsonage. Now they're in Fayetteville. We've been partners with them for over 10 years now, some in Vermont, eight years, then two years they were here. And now in Fayetteville, we're still loving on them, supporting them and praying for them. And so what I have found is that we are unique in that we have relationships with missionaries that we continue in having those relationships. In other words, we don't send people off and forget about them. We send people to the mission field and we continue to love them. And what I found is that it wasn't too long ago I was having a conversation with a missionary. And as we were talking and he heard of kind of some of the things we've been able to do, and again, I'll commend y'all because y'all have been fantastic he began to get discouraged in his own home church. And he told me, he said, this just isn't the kind of support that I've gotten. He says, as a matter of fact, when when we left our home church, we thought that they were going to support us. We thought they were going to pray for us. They were going to keep in touch with us. We thought they were going to even join us on the mission field and be a part of our work. He said, but the reality is we don't ever hear anything from them. We, we don't we don't ever hear from them. We don't ever we don't ever get get people calling. We don't get prayer support We don't we feel isolated We feel alone and we feel as if we have very little support at all on the mission field And as a pastor that breaks my heart Because what a lot of people don't understand is that missionaries are not superhumans They are not super Christians who don't need love and support. They are human beings just like we are. Amen. And they feel isolation and they have needs. They need a church home just like every other church member needs a church home. The only difference is they have been sent out under the leadership of God to take the gospel to places where the gospel is not yet known. And so... As I begin to read through this and study through this, the Lord began to lay this on my heart. And so I want us to look at this passage together. So look with me now in verse 19 as Paul begins to ask the Ephesians church to pray for him specifically So that he can fulfill his ministry. Paul says, I need your help. I need you to join me in praying for me. Notice what he says. And also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Now let me give you just a little bit of historical context. If you go back to Acts 19, you read of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And what we find is that Paul had an incredibly fruitful ministry in Ephesus. He spent about three years in Ephesus until he was finally chased out of town by a riot. He then goes away for a month or two, swings back around to a neighboring city. He sends for the elders of the church at Ephesus to join him there. They have this great farewell goodbye party as Paul tells them goodbye through a lot of emotions because Paul is on his way to Rome as a prisoner. And as a matter of fact, in prison now in Rome is where Paul likely writes the letter to the church at Ephesus. And so as he remembers them, he's writing to them to encourage them to continue to minister to them. But he's writing this letter from prison. And what Paul is helping them understand is that before him lies some really incredible and unique opportunities for him to proclaim the gospel. Now, you might be thinking, how in the world is Paul going to preach the gospel while he's in chains? Well, that's exactly what God had sovereignly done. Paul wanted to go to Rome. Paul wanted an audience with Caesar so that he could declare the gospel to Caesar and so that he could declare the gospel to the Romans. Paul gets a free trip to Rome, all expenses paid, room and board. As a prisoner. And because as a prisoner, he appealed to Caesar, guess who he's likely going to get to stand before during trial? Caesar. And what's he going to be asked? Why are you here? And Paul's going to be able to boldly proclaim, as long as his church partners are praying for him, well, let me tell you exactly while I'm here. There was a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And in doing so, Paul is going to be able to boldly proclaim the gospel to those who are in prison, to the guards that he's shackled beside, to Caesar who he stands before. And what Paul is declaring is, I need you to pray for me. Opportunities abound. God has sent me here to fulfill the mission that God has on my life. And you, church at Ephesus, you are a part of that mission. And although you can't be here with me, although you're not in chains beside me, you're a part of the mission and you're engaging in my ministry by lifting me up in prayer notice as well in verse 20 as paul is trusting in the sovereignty of god notice what he says this is fascinating paul says for which i am an ambassador in chains now this is a contradiction of terms that's supposed to cause the audience to go what Because an ambassador, much like today, was a person of great respect that had been sent from one government to another government to represent someone far important than just the ambassador. Ambassadors were always treated with the utmost respect. And so to throw an ambassador in prison would have been an incredibly shocking and, and shameful thing that no ruler would have done. They would have had what we think of today as diplomatic immunity. So an ambassador in prison was a foreign concept. Paul says, I am an ambassador. I have been sent out by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? Amen. I'm not, I'm not an ambassador of a recognized government, but I am the ambassador of the recognized King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the God of creation, the King of the universe has sent me out to declare his glories. But Paul says, I'm an ambassador in chains. And Paul says, it's not that way by accident. It's not that way because God has lost control. It's that way because God is in complete and total control. And Paul says, pray for me. As a matter of fact, writing from the very same imprisonment to the church in Philippi, Paul writes this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are now much more bold to speak the word without fear. As a matter of fact, when he tells the Philippian church by at the end of that letter, he he sends greetings from the brothers in Christ that are a part of Caesar's household. In other words, Paul says that while I've been in prison, I've been preaching the gospel. This poor guy chained next to me, he hears the gospel all day, every day. And many of the guards have come to faith in Christ. And so when I send my greetings, it's not only from the church here in Rome, but it's also from my new brothers and sisters in Christ, these Roman guards, who are now followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, I need you to help me in my ministry. I need you to engage with me as best you can. As a matter of fact, as we look at this text, what Paul knew was that God had sent him to Rome for a reason, even if it was in chains. But he also knew that he needed his churches to pray for him and support him however they could. As a matter of fact, if you look at what we see here in Ephesians, Paul is asking the church in Ephesus to pray for him, if you look at the example of the relationship Paul had with the church at Philippi, Paul actually thanks the church in Philippians for partnering with him from the very beginning, and he expresses thanks because they have supported him financially and they have sent people to help him on the mission field. Remember, in the church to Phil, in the letter to the Philippians, Paul says, "I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you." The guy that you sent as a faithful messenger and a minister of the gospel to minister alongside Paul. And so when you begin to see the relationship that Paul had with his churches, what you see is that each church did what God had led them to and allowed them to do in engaging and partnering with those they sent out. And what I want you to understand is that we have the same opportunity before us. God has been gracious in allowing us to have great partners who have been sent out for the sake of God's glory. Jamie and Joey, Keith and Joel, Corey and Ashley and their families have been sent out and God has enabled us to be a part of their ministry and a part of their life. And I'm telling you, what they need is they need to know that there is a loving church family back here in North Carolina that cares about them, that is praying for them, and that is doing everything they can to engage with them in their ministry. And so I just want to encourage us to keep doing what we're doing, but I also want to encourage you to pray about and think about how you can do even more. Maybe you can give them a call. Maybe you can send them a text. Maybe you can make sure that you're on their newsletter or whatever it is. But I just want to encourage you. Nothing blesses them more than to hear from their church family and to know that their church family is engaged in their ministry. So the church needs to be engaged in the ministry of those sent out. And then secondly, those sent out need to be engaged in the life of the church that sent them. As with all relationships, we see in verse 21 that the relationship between the church and those sent out is a two way street. Look at what Paul says in verse 21. He says, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Now, notice what Paul does. Paul says, I, I, I want to give you an update. I couldn't come because kind of chained up at the moment. And so since I couldn't come to you, I'm sending Tychius to you. And here's Tychius' purpose. His purpose is to let you know how I am doing and to let you know what I'm doing. Now today, we would, we would think of that as like a church, I mean a newsletter, right? We get a newsletter or an update as the missionaries are coming through town. That's exactly what Paul's doing. He doesn't have email, right? He can't just quickly and easily send an update. He can't quickly send a prayer request. He can't just quickly give them communication and information. And so what Paul does is he says, I'm sending Tychius. He's a faithful minister and brother in the faith. He's going to come, tell you how I'm doing, tell you what I'm doing. And by the way, he's going to be able to encourage you along the way. And so what Paul does is Paul maintains a good relationship with the churches, not just at Ephesus, but with the churches that he's partnering with. Why? Because Paul was still involved in the life of the church even if it was from afar. Now, obviously, it wasn't to the extent that it was when he was there, but he stayed engaged as much as possible while fulfilling the mission of God. Why? Because Paul believed that the church that sent him and partnered with him was a part of his ministry. Think about that for a minute. Paul doesn't communicate to the church, I don't need you. I'm Paul the Apostle. Instead, Paul says, I can't fulfill my ministry without you praying for me and helping me along the way. And I want you to understand the same is true for our missionaries, but our missionaries, Paul is engaging with the church at Ephesus. And again, this isn't just isolated to the church at Ephesus. Notice what it says, uh, excuse me. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent out by the church in Antioch. But after f- a few years, they return to Antioch to encourage and be encouraged. Listen to what it says in Acts 14, talking about Paul and Barnabas' return. It says, and from there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. In other words, they, they went back to their home church. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together. And they declared all that God had done with them. They gave an update and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. And so in Acts 13, they are sent out. But in Acts 14, they come back after several years on the mission field to give the church an update, to declare to the church, this is all that God has done. And what Paul and Barnabas are declaring is this is what you've been a part of. You're the ones that sent us out. You're the ones that laid hand on us. You're the ones that enabled us to go. And we want you to know what God has done through your faithfulness. And so they give the church an update. But they don't stay. They spend a lot of time there. But in Acts 16, they're sent back out again. And once again, they return a few years later to Antioch in chapter 18, verse 22. But what we see in that text is they don't just visit Antioch. But they go out again to revisit other churches and strengthen them. So look in Acts 18, verses 22 and 23. Or listen to what I read. It says, When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and he greeted the church. And he went down to Antioch. And after spending some time there, he departed. And he went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. In other words, Paul stayed engaged as much as possible in the life of the churches he was partnering with. Now, A couple weeks ago, y'all allowed me to go to spend some time with Jamie, our missionary, while he was here in the States. And so I went to uh, Dallas to a conference with him. And then after going to, da- to the conference, we went to Southwestern Seminary because his missions team was engaging with students there that were considering going to the mission field. And so I was talking with one of his teammates who's actually stationed at the IMB headquarters in Richmond. And his his job as an IMB personnel is to get churches and missionaries to engage with one another and have a relationship with one another. Here's what he said. He said, "Well, so many of our missionaries don't have a church home that supports them and loves them and they feel isolated on the field. And so many of our churches give to missions, they pray for missions, but they don't know a missionary personally. What I'm trying to do is bridge the gap and bring those two groups together because we've got missionaries who need a church home and we've got churches that need missionaries and I'm trying to bring them together. And so I began to share a little bit of our testimony as a church and the relationship that we have with Jamie and Joey. And what I expressed to him was the relationship that we had was a two-way street that yes, we have certainly gone on trips and we have done uh, above and beyond in his eyes to partner with them and engage with them and to help them and love them and encourage them all while they're on the mission field. But I've also told him, I said, Jamie, he texts me at least every other week. We talk once a month on the phone. When he's in the States, he comes and he visits our church. He stays engaged with our church family. If he was to walk into our church on a random Sunday morning, he would know half of our congregation and he would remember their names and he would engage with them because we have that kind of a relationship. And as we were talking, he goes, oh man. He said, next week, I'm going to Oklahoma to a pastor's gathering and conference for this very purpose. Can I videotape you? So that I can just, I can just get on the big screen your testimony of the relationship you have with Jamie. And so I said, sure. So we sat down and we did the recording. I, I kind of shared what we had done and, and he, he stopped the recording after I had done. He said, he said, man, that was great. He said, that was, that was fantastic. He said, but in listening to that, here's the problem. He said, y'all have done so much for Jamie. And Jamie has done so much for y'all. I'm afraid we set the bar too high. I'm afraid that that when other pastors hear that, they're going to go, we can't do that. And I'm even afraid that our missionaries are going to go, we don't have time for that. And I just remember sitting there just sort of smiling going, praise God. That God in his sovereignty has given this small country church in rural North Carolina the opportunity to engage with a missionary and a missionary to engage back with us so that we set the bar too high. And we had to re-record the video and I had to lower the bar quite a bit. And I promise you, if you reached out to Corey and Ashley, they would say the same thing. They, they they don't view us as a partnering church, they view us as church family because we've been engaging with them in ministry. Keith and Joel the same. But again, it doesn't just take us engaging with them, it takes them engaging with us. Now the question is, why? Why is this so important? Why does this actually matter? Because we are all a part of the same family and we need to help each other. Remember what Paul has already taught us in the book of Ephesians. We are the body of Christ. We are unified together under one faith, one God, one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism. We are one together. We are the body of Christ built up for God's glory. We're unified together. And when one is sent out by God's sovereignty, then they're still a part of the body. We're still accountable to them and we're still accountable for them. Amen. And they're still a part of us. They're still accountable for us and to us as well. And so here at the end of Ephesians, we get this awesome picture of how Paul is engaging in the relationship he has with the church at Ephesus. We see it all throughout the New Testament because Paul knew that he could not fulfill his ministry without his church partners. Notice the unity that Paul then describes in verses 23 and 24. He says peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wishes them peace and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a peace that comes from trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior and trusting in his love for you. What is that what does that peace look like? How, how do we how do we get that peace? That Paul's talking about here. Notice what he says again. Peace be to the brothers. And love with faith. From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says this peace. That I'm wishing to you. Is available for all who trust in Jesus Christ. As Lord and Savior. This peace comes. When according to Ephesians. We go from enemy of God and child of wrath to a son of God and a daughter of God because we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Remember, God loves you. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins so that your sins which separate you from God could be removed, could be covered, and could be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that that barrier that exists between you and God could be removed forever. And so that you could put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And when you go from enemy to son, you experience the peace of God that comes only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to know how you can have peace with God That peace comes only by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I believe that not only does God love you, and not only do I believe that God sent his son to die for you, but I believe God loves you so much that if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I believe God will call you unto himself. And so if you're here and you feel God speaking to you and calling you for salvation then know that that is God calling out to you. That's proof that God loves you. That's proof that God wants a relationship with you. And what I would ask you to do is before you leave here today, say yes to God. If God is calling you, say yes to him. And in just a few moments as we stand to sing our hymn of invitation, I'll give you that opportunity where you can say yes to God. We're going to stand. We're going to sing in just a few moments. And as we do, if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and, Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to come and just say, Will, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I'll tell you everything that you need to know so that you can give your heart and life to Christ. You say, but I've got questions. That's fine. Come and see me after church. I, I, I don't want you to leave here today without having your questions answered, without you knowing how you can have a relationship with Jesus. If you feel God's speaking then I want to invite you to come in just a few moments because Paul prays for grace to be given to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this in verse 25, with love that is incorruptible, pure, genuine love. If you're here today and you've never known the pure love of Christ, you've never loved here with, loved him with pure love in return, then today can be the day that you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me first just ask, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you feel God speaking to you, then today can be the day that you give your life to Jesus. In just a few moments as we stand, you come forward and just say, Will, I want to give my life to Jesus, and I'll tell you everything that you need to know so you can give your life to Christ. Again, you have questions, come see me afterwards. But do not leave here today until you've said yes to God. Believers, let me ask you. What can we do individually? And what can we do as a church family to better support those whom we have sent out? We can pray for them We can can go on trips with them. We can engage in their ministry. And so let's look for opportunities, both individually and corporately, as to how we can engage with those who've been sent out. Well, you may be here today, and the Lord is leading you to make this your church home. If that's the case, and when we stand to sing, you come. You may be here today, and after watching Lion and Casey be baptized, you know that you've never followed the Lord in believers' baptism. And maybe the Lord has laid upon your heart that you need to follow him in believer's baptism. You've been saved. You've given your life to Christ. You've just never followed through with baptism. Whatever and however the Lord is leading, you come. The altar is open. You come as the Lord leads. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you again for all that you are doing in our hearts and in our midst. Lord, we pray for your will to be done in us and through us today. It's in your holy name that we pray, amen.